Hello, everyone. Welcome to AMT's Tech Trend Podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. Today's uh, episode is sponsored by AM, AM Radio. More on that shortly. I am the Director of Technology, Benjamin Moses. I'm here with the Technology Analyst of AMD, Stephen Lamarca. Steve, I'm stressed out. Why are you stressed out? I'm in the middle of deploying our association management software. You have every right to be stressed out. <laughs> so a parallel for the rest of the industry would be similar to if you're migrating from between uh, ERP systems. You've got a bunch of configuration uh, software applications and data underneath. Uh, so we're going to an old basically access, access database to uh, an application built on top of Salesforce. So we designed the configuration so we kind of know how the software should work. Now we're in the middle of migrating all of our data, and it's never as simple as copy and paste. That's the worst thing you could assume yeah. to do. That you're you've got table A and table Z, and you got to figure out how to make make them work. Oh my God. Yeah, dude, so. I tell you what, we were. Um, I say we, Dayton, Nina, and I were here late last night, uh, planning our attack on Rapid next week. Yeah, and as we were going through the company names. Um, you know, Dayton was based as Nina was going through the company, the, the exhibitor list mm -hmm. uh, for Rapid. Dayton was basically listing off, like shouting off if to for Nina's spreadsheet um, whether the company is a non-member or a member, right. and um, on a rating from one to five, how how hot they are, and are they worth going to talk to? Right, like, like should we make an attempt to talk to them sure. at the show? Um. And as we're going through member, non-member, um, I'm just like, like Dayton, I'm very impressed, like for being as new to AMT as he is. He kn he knows a lot of companies, whether or not they're members, sure. and, you know, which is something you do pick up pretty quick working here. Right. But, um, you know, I even I still don't know who's a member and who's not like to 100 percent. So I just had Tim's open our old AMS, our right. legacy AMS, our. Man, it's it's old. Legacy is the uh, right word. <laughs> I, forget, I I used another word before the show that wasn't right, but <laughs> a curse word. All, no, <laughs> I, it, it was not profane. I okay. could have said it here, and I, I wish I did, but I don't remember it anymore. Um, I've been cursing a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. And um, Nina and Nina and Dayton, two of like the smartest people that we have here. Yeah, look at me, and they're like, you know how to use Tim's, <laughs> and I'm like, what? You guys don't. They're like, no, we we were just told not to touch that thing with a 10 foot pole. And I'm like, well, I mean, I don't like change any of the data in there, right. but I know how to search for companies yep. and tell whether or not they're members or not. Or what's their membership status yep. if, if they are or were or are a prospect. You know, it, it's got all of that stuff in there. It's it's still really useful. Like yeah. there's a reason why the people who are buried in Tim's still kind of like it a little bit. It's not good for anybody else. Right. And they want like interns to be able to use an AMS <laughs> and Tim's is not an intern AMS, uh, which is why we're going to something else. Yeah. But, um, and that's a good takeaway to be honest. And the source data, it's still super relevant. So like being able to export that into like a, another SQL database or a Pataho where you can dashboard information. These are all words I don't know. <laughs> the key thing that uh, the big takeaway for me is that the evolution of user interfaces have changed so rapidly, especially yeah. now, like every year you get some type of new feature that is, propagated through either websites or phones or computer um, programs that if you're not carrying that over into enterprise applications, the ability to scale up the application to new users kind of limits you, right? Yeah. So 
being able to so being able to switch to um, this new software and keeping it current to what we expect our current user experiences and interfaces is very pivotal for us, especially when we look at the externally facing side of the application right. too. So I completely agree with you that the using legacy like this this is like 15 years old type application that we're moving away from yeah. and being at able least, to at ma- least maneuver through this is a challenge because everyone's so used to what is current between now and like five years ago. I mean, just what's crazy is it doesn't have simple mechanics right. that everybody's used to today, like with search engines, like yep. using Google. You type something in. You don't need to format. You can <laughs> if you want to be specific, right. but you don't need to format what yeah. you type in and then you press enter. Tim's? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Put a put a percentage sign <laughs> around every single word and um, enter does nothing. You have to click on a button, which is also <laughs> F12. It's one of the F function yeah, keys. Yeah. I just click on it because I can never remember my function keys. Um, and then you have to scroll through a bunch of companies that come up in the search. Uh, but yeah, you know what? We were talking. Uh, I, I went to the bar last Thursday. Yep. Uh, in Whole Foods and Tyson's, yeah, they have experience. a bar. It is an experience, <laughs> dude. It's cheap. Yeah, you can go to the Whole Foods bar and get a lot of drinks for fifteen dollars. <laughs> well, that's it's insane. That's their trick. They get you drunk to buy their expensive ass food in there. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Um, but anyway, I'm there at the bar. I don't, I don't even really drink that much sure. anymore. I was there with people, but some of the people that we met there, like random people we met there, we met these three guys um, that have done made a startup they, right. they've they formed a startup company to do ams's specifically nice. associations that's like, cool. like exactly yeah. ams's right. association management systems and their primary competitor as they know is right. like fontiva's salesforce right and i told them I was when I was they, they were trying to like what offended me at first, which is because what I'm about to tell you is may sound a little mean. Sure. But you're a drunk. I was not. I was absolutely not. But the reason why I had a mean response was because was they were telling me right. what they did. Right. They were also selling it to me. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, I don't want to. <laughs> I'm not the person to talk to. Right. Number one. Yeah. Number two. How dare you try to sell me something <laughs> on like off time, downtime. Right, right. Like it's not work hour right yeah, now. Yeah. Like I, I respect the hustle. Sure. But now, now it's my turn. <laughs> Here comes the retaliation. Yeah. You have a huge uphill battle against Fontiva. And Salesforce. It is potentially, yeah, yeah, Salesforce. It is potentially an easy and both extremely difficult battle. Right. All the easy, let's start with the easy part. All you have to do to make a superior product to Salesforce, good customer service, actually listen to your customers, <laughs> deliver on time. Yeah. And yeah. don't squeeze them for every single nickel and dime <laughs> possible. Fair. That's it. That's all you have to do to be successful. Well, and, and the product has to work. It has to work. I would say for them to be a successful startup is – if someone types in CRM, that they show up as one of the ads on top of CRM. <laughs> that, that tr- that's, that, I'm not marketing. I'm not marketing. Don't talk to me about that. Here's the, the big fight. All of these corporate executive dummies <laughs> always shove Salesforce onto their people who actually use it while sure. they can't figure out how to open a PDF. <laughs> They shove Salesforce onto these people and then say these awful things, this awful thing. 
which I'm still not sure holds any merit or truth right. and says, yeah, but Salesforce will look really good on your resume, <laughs> meaning I don't want you to work here anymore. So when you go job hunting for someplace else, Salesforce will look good. That's the and how Salesforce managed to get that is incredible. <laughs> Super Bowl ads. That's how they got. <laughs> maybe it was Super Bowl and they are on the sides of uh, F1 tracks now. That's true. During That's- the, the, the various countries Grand Prix. That's big time. But. I told this startup, these three guys, and I was like, that's all you have to do. <laughs> that's all they have to that's do. That's all you have to do. But already, like, you know, it's like, I don't want to speak ill of them. Sure. Because, but at the same time, I saw this guy walking. Uh, we crossed paths as I was leaving the bathroom. This one guy was walking to the bathroom. And it's like, they're a startup company. Right. They're not established at all yet. Right. He's already wearing a Salvatore Ferragamo belt. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Way to look full, like, like, no, yeah. way to not look full of yourself at sure, all. Good sure. job. Man, that executive life, though, bro. <laughs> the three-man startup. <laughs> Glad you're at the top of the three-man totem pole. <laughs> Steve, tell us about our sponsor today. Our sponsor today, AM Radio, is the new podcast from Additive Manufacturing Media. Join editors Pete Zielinski, Stephanie Hendrickson, and Julia Heider as they share stories of companies succeeding with 3D printing today. Talk about emerging trends and discuss the future opportunities and potential for AM in the context of the larger manufacturing landscape. New episodes are published every other week. Subscribe now on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. Tune into Additive. Awesome, man. And speaking of which, let's talk about our test bed. The test bed. I've seen some action recently. All right. International action. Internet, dude, so much international, <laughs> international action. Yep. You know, interactional. Do you need do you need a starting point? No, no, no. So, so okay. We've said like a million times now that the old the first pocket NC that we got, the first piece of equipment for our test bed, we sent it during the pandemic to Monterey, uh, the the Mexico Tech Center, Monterey, Mexico, not California, to hell with them. Um, And we they loved it so much that we were like, yeah, we're not gonna. Nah, don't send it back. We'll just buy a new one because I kind of want the new one anyway. And the new one's supposed to be arriving, was supposed to arrive this week or is supposed to be arriving this week. I'm I'm not going to worry about it, but we've got a new one on the way. And MFG was not last week, but MFG is an AMT event of ours. It was really awesome, by the way. You should have been there. Um, Hopefully you were. Um, And um, at MFG, I got to... Talk to Carlos, yep. who's like the head of the Mexico Tech Center, Tech Center for AMT. And I told Carlos that, oh, yeah, you know, our, our manufacturing test bed also has a uh, a seven joint collaborative robot. That was a mistake. <laughs> I'm not going to say it was a mistake. <laughs> no, no. He's but basically actually. he goes to talk. He, he's an he's telling me, oh, tell me more about this robot. <laughs> and and basically tell him about it. And then uh, like a week later. He gets an email or he no, he sends an email to Tim and Tim emails us <laughs> and he's like, hey, so Carlos knows that we have a collaborative robot. What's the plan on sending him and sending it to him? <laughs> and, and so, um, yeah, we might send that to him. And uh, frankly, you're the one who knows the budget. So you're going to be the one who's opposed to this. But I'm not opposed to that because let's send him the X arm and then we can order from this new German company. <laughs> Uh, that has those that, that I spoke about a f- few podcasts ago. Yep. Um, let's order one of their robots. But um, yeah, so the goal is to continue feeding our uh, Mexico test center with 
a demonstrator. So we've got the subtractive manufacturing side with the five-axis machine. Now we're going to incorporate automation, which hopefully we can send you down and you and Danielle yes. can collaborate. That's and learn the next through. plan. Yep. I'll talk with Carlos. We'll get something set up. I'll uh, put the X arm in my luggage <laughs> and go down there with it. Um, I want to hear you explain that to the person you're checking your luggage into. <laughs> oh my! You know, so I have been stopped at TSA for the yeah. weirdest things. So like when uh, Russ and Pam used to send me to the MT Connect um, Standards Committee meetings yep. before they were called the Standard, the TAC Technical Advisory Committee was that it? Uh, TAG TAG Technical yeah. Advisory Group. Yep. Yep. Um, now forget TAG. Now it's the Standards Committee. Um, when they used to send me to those, they used to give me all of like the magnetic name tag badges. <laughs> yeah. Flagged right away. Yeah. Yep. Flagged right. I remember in college when the news broke that TSA was getting mass spectrometers. Oh yeah. And I told my chem and physics professors this and they were they face palmed immediately. <laughs> They're like, so many people are going to be traveling with hand lotion and get flagged for plastique. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's fun trying to travel with uh, manufacturing equipment. So yes. I've traveled with uh, cutters, tool holders. Instead of oh, shipping that the, heavy carbide and ink and L. I'm like right underneath the weight limit. I'm like, here's some cutting equipment. What do I do with this? Please take it. <laughs> I had a, uh, when I was working for our site in, um, uh, in Phelps, New York, just south of Rochester, they're doing electromagnetic uh, solenoid valves, like little guys for hydraulic, um, ap- hydraulic um, applications in airplanes. And they had a, a demonstrator valve that they want to be shipped around yeah. it's basically just coils and windings and wires so when i take it to the check-in counter i was like hey guys i have to check this in is this cool so talking to the agent right up front that you're carrying equipment is pretty important yeah so just keep that in mind the, the the craziest thing i've done in college deer season ended oh yeah when i went down that year um i brought my remington 700 yep. planning to do some deer hunting in vermont brought it up there and deer season is like in Vermont is three days and each day is a different weapon is supposed to be used. Right. So it's rifle, then it's bow, then it's muzzle loader. Okay. And once those three days are over, like I had no reason to have the <laughs> rifle there. So, right. and I didn't want it to be in a, like my college house. Yep. So I wanted it home where it was safe. And so I flew back with it and I had a TSA grade right. gun case for it and everything. And they flagged me right away. Of course. Uh, Burlington International Airport is the small. It's a shoebox sure. of an airport. Right. And they have F-35s. We'll get into that later, though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Burlington International, I get to security. I'm the only one in line. <laughs> they don't have pre-check there because they don't need it. Right. Um, so I'm going through the line and immediately two police officers come up behind me. I've already checked my bag, mind you. Right, right. Rather, I've checked my gun case. Correct. And... Um, oh, wait a minute. Go back to when I checked it. Um, when I checked it, they told me, uh, sir, you're going to have to open this up. So okay. I unlock it. Sure. It's got the TSA locks right. and they see the rifle right there. And they asked me, is there any ammunition mm. in this vessel? Right. And I'm like, no, right. I'm, I'm like, I'm no, not a dummy. I'm not going to risk <laughs> anything. I'm already flying with a right. gun. Right. Like, and so they bring in this TSA guy. And uh, well, well, the two police officers, they were the ones who told me to open it. And then they bring in this TSA guy who's got the rubber gloves on. He sure. swabs the gun case and he's like, 
He's like, sir, uh, this has came up positive for uh, volatile <laughs> chemicals. And it's like, yeah, it's a gun. It needs volatile chemicals to work. Kept okay, obvious. Yeah. <laughs> and and they just let me pad. Yeah. I, I locked it back up and right. they let me go to security. At security, the two different police officers, or they may have been the same. I didn't get to go look at their faces. Yeah. Come up behind me. He's like, sir, you've been flagged for a random security screening. And we're like, oh, I'm sure it was totally random because, it's you know, I'm the only guy here. And I'm, always, uh, I'm the one guy here who's flying with a gun, too. But uh, that was yeah. a wild time. So uh, if you guys have to meet me at one of our conferences or events. <laughs> Please ask, don't give me anything cool. Ask me what my mother-in-law brought back from Florida. Oh, no. Oh, it's fun. It's very fun. Oh, geez. Steve, let's get into our first article. You got one. Um, I have one about the F-35. Yeah. Speaking of the, the Green Mountain Boys, this article has nothing to do with them. <laughs> but the Green Mountain Boys are stationed at the Burlington International Airport in right. Vermont. And they were like one of the first, um, I don't know if you call them divisions. or Squadrons. What, squadrons that got the F-35. Yep. So when I was in college, like a long time ago, mm -hmm. at least to me, um, <laughs> I saw like F, like while we were waiting for our flights and stuff yeah, to like yeah. go home for winter break and whatnot, you would see like in between um, uh, commercial airliners taking off, you right. would see F-16s. Yeah. And one time I saw an F-35 and I was cool. like, wow, it actually works. <laughs> yeah. And, but anyway, um, the article that I have from Metrology News, of course. Um, while you're doing that, can I bring up a time reference for you? Yeah. Now, you mentioned that I actually worked on the Stovall version of F-35. On the what? It's the Stovall version, the vertical takeoff version of oh, F-35. Okay. So I did some design work on one of their um, uh, stabilizing uh, units on their wings. So that gives you a time reference on when I worked on F-35 versus when you saw it in what I what I'm What I'm giggling about is that, like, you get a lot of people talking smack about the F-35. Like, yeah. Oh, it costs it, – it, it's the most expensive plane ever. It's like, number one, they made a lot of them. Yeah, there, there's yeah. not a, like a huge amount. They're like not right. in the thousands, but they're getting there. Right. They've right. made a lot of them. Yep. Number one. Number two, it's also expensive because look in any direction where you see people. Mm -hmm. Somebody in that group of people has worked on the F-35. <laughs> this is true. Everybody in their mother has worked on the F-35. That's yeah, right. those are mouths to feed. Yeah, they, yeah. That's it's going to be an expensive plane. It's a it's the it's America's plane. Yeah, that's right. I never thought I would hype it up that much. But <laughs> anyway, Metrology News. Additive manufacturing to repair the F-35 large titanium blisks. Yep. Blisk. They're expensive. Blisk is a, what's the fancy word for describing a word that is the combination of multiple words? I forget. An, not an antonym. Uh, and it's not an onomatopoeia. Um, I've, uh, Promon 2. Let's keep going. Right. Whatever. Blisk means bladed disc. Right. And the bladed discs are inside turbine engines. Yep. Um, the F-35 has one turbine engine, but with a handful of blisks mm -hmm. on it. Those blisks are made out of titanium. Uh, each one of those blisks costs half a million dollars. Yep. Instead of replacing a blisk once it gets worn out, it's easier. It, they, The government, the DOD has determined it would be advantageous for us to be able to just fix them right instead of entirely replacing them since they are half a million dollars so they have turned to a company optimec mm -hmm. and awarded them 1.5 million dollars in a contract to use additive manufacturing specifically printing titanium mm -hmm. to fix said blisks that's cool it's cool until you realize 1.5 million dollars 
You're fixed. And the Blisk costs half a million dollars. <laughs> they can repair three Blisks. There's like close to 700 of these planes out there. <laughs> it's a good proof of concept for that. <laughs> but yeah, hey, you know, you're getting you're getting your name out there, buddy. No, but that is a really good use case for additive that uh, we've kind of talked about um, exploring a lot more. Uh, aerospace has a really big um, maintenance repair overhaul uh, cycle and being able to get into of uh, instead of replacing parts constantly. So like if you have a bracket on a duct assembly that gets damaged, the common process is replace a whole duct, which is very, very expensive. You know, mm. that's often three to five times the cost of the OEM part right. uh, in the aftermarket. Or you replace that bracket. But as anyone that's trying to buy like a screw or a small component in a car, it's really hard to find that part number of that within that subassembly. Yeah. Um, I try to replace the uh, light that shines on the um, uh, rear um, license plate on my Xterra. Yeah. And they said, no, you have to buy the whole bumper. I said, what? <laughs> it's a pretty old car, but I, was, I, I, gla- I giggled and I said, nope. <laughs> so, but the concept is it's kind of difficult to drill down to a specific component sometimes. So the ability to repair parts on an assembly yeah, uh, and, you know, obviously grow the part or grow that portion of it. A lot of times you'll see them actually excavate. They'll um, cut out a square corner or cut out like a circular piece and then come back and refill it and uh, machine it back down. But the ability for that to occur in defense a lot is really important because these things are abused, right? They'll, they get end of life very, very quickly. So instead of right. having to go through this rotary pool of old inventory or throwing them away, just repair the cracks and then move forward. Right. And it's not like they're, the, these planes are flying through dusty environments right. all the time. Yeah. And that's wearing the leading edge down on each blade of the blisk. Yep. But it's just wear and tear. And, but repair, the, man, that's a big market for additive. Yeah. And it, yeah, the imagine, key is, imagine if your brake rotors were so expensive that right. the cheapest way <laughs> to fix them instead of replacing them was to print more material on it and then grind it down. Yeah. That's wild to me. Porsche is very close to that. They are because they are nuts. I'll get into another theory. We had a discussion before <laughs> recording, but the the concept of okay, it's not just printing. Right, you've proved me wrong. It's not just printing that we're looking at. It's additive process, right, for the repair. So you're going to have to excavate a part. You're going to have to grow a part or a portion of the part, and then continue uh, machining and manufacturing. So it's it's coupling the subtractive process with the additive capability. So it's it's a very big ecosystem that we're looking for in this process. I've got an article on, or from TechCrunch. Oh, cool. They like their fancy titles. I like, I like TechCrunch. Move over, move over, Picasso. Watching this robot print a car is a mesmerizing. Dude. So it's a... Paint uh, a car? It's a little... The, the title isn't as descri- descriptive as I like. Okay. So they're not just painting the raw shell of it. What they're doing is mass customization. So they have this uh, experiment where... They took uh, an abstract artist uh, that just a little, uh, like a young co- uh, kid who actually has done a lot of uh, paintings, mm-hmm. um, taking his ideas and worked with a, um, a, a digital collector uh, startup company and figure out how to put this abstract painting onto a car. So the car already has a white uh, shell, uh, a white paint job onto it, and they're doing basically a customization. So the use case would be, Ben, I want to print Ben on my car or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Over the past couple of years, we've talked about it where automation and painting cars, um, that's been around for a real long time. Yeah. What we've seen is uh, progressions on, you know, single robotic arm being able to move on a gantry or keeping the car still, 
we've seen significant changes on the nozzle head, right? So instead of spraying a ton of stuff, they're changing the spray pattern so it can be more effective and capturing that spray. Yeah. What this iteration is showing is that basically they have a um, inkjet nozzle head with like a thousand different nozzle heads and basically printing uh, on the surface of the car any unique pattern without masking. So there was an example a couple of uh, episodes ago we talked about, I think it was BMW doing this also, where they're printing racing stripes without masking. Yeah. So in this case, it's an inkjet head. So they just move the head along and it's printing just like your inkjet printer would on paper. So they're able to do very, very complex uh, shapes and patterns and colors by going, and of course, accuracy of the robotics and the user interface is also facilitating this type of uh, process to where they've uh, progressed significantly to allow this. But it's a very interesting um, uh, test where, yeah, on the surface, they're, they're doing a demonstrator of this abstract on a car, but the capabilities allow us to do one, uh, two things. One is mass customization. That's still a very interesting thing of being able to do lot size of one, yeah. right? So being able to... And not having to be Duesenberg or Rolls-Royce to do it, such a Exactly. Job. Not being paying tens of thousands of dollars for a unique paid job where I could just click a couple of buttons and, you know, pay a $500 upcharge or something like that. So the ability to be, uh, have an affordable mass customization, but also the- I love that term. The uh, environmental impact where this allows it to be cost effective, right? So you're not masking, you're not paying for human right. to mask it. Uh, you're not, you're not, it sounds like you can minimize overspray. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you minimize overspray, which you reduce your paint usage, but you reduce your ventilation requirements, right? And any anything requiring for um, a filtration for that. Energy usage goes down significantly. And obviously with a lot of uh, uh, paint, there's also a lot of water usage uh, trying to recapture that uh, debris. So overall, it lower, it's significantly more efficient. And, you know, I was thinking about the use case of this too. It may not be at the OEM side. You know, this could be a, a case where it's like a, uh, a third-party paint job where they have a robotic arm and a nozzle yeah. head, right? It doesn't have to be at um, Audi you, or BMW. It could be at uh, uh, Mako or something like that. When you started describing it, I was like, I can't wait until I can pull into a flagship uh, car wash yeah. place <laughs> and be like, hey, I have a door ding. Yep. And there's like, yeah, pull into that bay and it like laser measures your car as yep. you're pulling in to know exactly where your car is placed. And then a robot like scoots over on rails yep. and just does like grinds down all of the debris. <laughs> yep. Exposes the, like the cleanest layer of paint, maybe applies more of the paint mm-hmm. once it does some sort of optical measurement to find out what kind of paint you have sprays on some new stuff, dries it, sprays on clear coat, buffs it out and does all that. Like, it sounds wild right now. I think we're <laughs> 10 years away. 10 years away? Yeah. Episode 500 will come back and revisit this. <laughs> but it is interesting. I mean, so it's the progression of all the uh, surrounding technologies with automation, right? You have the nozzle head, you've got the user interface, and you've got the uh, the ability for the arm to be more mobile within the paint booth. And there's a significant collision of all these things that's making automation significantly more effective and getting us to more mass, which is contrary to what I've thought of of mass customization i would not think that automation would be a vehicle to get us there but it makes a lot of sense in retrospect i mean i think that's i think automation is the only way you can put the word mass in front of customization fair i got the next article steve all right new study assesses the effectiveness of 3d printed titanium implants on bone growth so i've the reason i brought this up is i found it very interesting where 
We have ad, we talked about additive on you know military. Dude, we're talking a lot about titanium. A lot of titanium. I love some titanium. Dude, we're starting to sound like Titan Gilroy. <laughs> uh, and this is direct applications into the body. So this is not like printing tools or you could say printing teeth, but uh, there's a couple of use cases here where you have actual uh, 3D printed titanium parts being used as implants. And I thought this was very fascinating where this is probably closest to, I'll call it mass production or end use where you're printing uh, or additive manufacturing for a true end use application. Uh, so the article starts it off with um, a research that's being done for um, uh, 3D bone replacements for reconstructive surgery. And a lot of these are reconstructive, but it highlights a couple other use cases. Uh, one is uh, Texas A&M U- University has developed a novel 3D printing scaffold that directly facil- facilitates bone growth after surgery, which is very, that's one of the biggest problems um, with um, implants is the body rejecting uh, the implant. But they're able to grow the pattern and the surface texture and the scaffold basically to allow the bone to grow around it and facilitate um, more growth. Uh, Quebec International Research, and I think there's another one from Canada. Uh, they're using uh, Arcamp from uh, G Additive to expedite uh, specific lower jaw implants. Um, and then Paulista University has 3D printed facial prosthetic for a Brazilian cancer survivor, which includes wow. her right eye, which that blew my mind. Printing the right eye as well. Yeah. Wow. Out of titanium? <laughs> the world's heaviest eyeball. <laughs> and Maybe the, there's a nice lattice. Man, you know. <laughs> and the last one I have is from um, Health Canada. Approved as first Canadian-made 3D uh, printed medical implant. A customizable uh, mandible plate used for facial reconstruction surgery predominantly for can- uh, patients with oral cancer. Wow. So these are pretty severe cases where, you know, they're losing parts of the body. They had no control. It's not like a an injury or someone riding around without, without a helmet. Yeah. These are things that they had no control over. They lost part of their body and uh, manufacturing and medical institute was like, we can fix that for you. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. Please be our guinea pig. We're so sorry for you. We want to take pity on you. Be our guinea pig. <laughs> uh, you've got an op-ed that we want to get into. Okay. So I found this article from Inc.com. Yep. Inc. is an incorporated. <laughs> um, and... What I really like about it, so I shared the link on our uh, our podcast article uh, Slack channel, and when you look at the link, when the 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 preview comes up for the link, right? the The article title is Tesla's nine word rule for every Tesla's nine word rule every employee has to follow is simply brilliant. Sure, and you click on the link to open it up. The new title, Tesla's ten word rule <laughs> every employee has to follow is simply brilliant. Wait a second. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it you know, it, yeah, it, whatever. But, but anyway, this author of of this opinion piece um, basically starts off by saying, "Yeah, I had a lot of free time, so I decided to uh, read Tesla's report." Right. Tesla's a hot company. Sure. They've got a lot of attention. All companies come out with these reports to say how great they're doing and hype themselves up. Of course. And Tesla came out with one that was 144 pages long, and this guy took it upon himself to read the whole thing. And they highlight some really cool metrics and some awesome numbers that Tesla's achieved and accomplished. Um, One of their things that they said is um, because they sold X amount of cars, um, they said, we have prevented the emission of this much greenhouse gas. That's cool. Which is a cool way to look at it. Right. Um, 
it's by no means a conventional metric that anybody else would follow in sure. the auto industry, but uh, they're not conventional. <laughs> and all of that's they're true. probably the most exciting and extravagant and extreme and ridiculous uh, auto manufacturer that we have seen since, you know, the birth of Lamborghini. <laughs> um and you, you and I got in a debate yes. about this, about how kooky Germans are versus Ju- Germans are kooky, <laughs> but they're not they're not ridiculous. We'll discuss this. They're over- calculated and they are they keep efficiency in mind. And if they can do something fun with it, they do. But, you know, Germans, Germans don't buy fast cars <laughs> because it's they're fun. Sure. They sure. buy fast cars so they can wake up later and still get to work <laughs> on time. That's an argument. We'll we'll discuss this further. I mean, that's that's cool, <laughs> but it's not ridiculous. All right. The, the, like the Ferrari Testarossa and the Lamborghini Countach were they they came about not because they had a purpose or right. because because of passion and a few kilograms of cocaine. <laughs> I would say the Volkswagen, uh, I think Nardo, the W16 is a pretty wacky engine. That thing is okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When you come up with a W16, that's a little bit over the top. Let's take two V8s <laughs> and put them on the same crankshaft. Anyway, Inc., yeah, this guy's talking about the Tesla report, report. And the thing that has him the most taken aback is he gets to this 10-word sentence goes beyond that. So basically, the ti- go back to the title. Right. Tesla's 10-word rule every employee has to follow is simply brilliant. And you get down to scroll down to that row. Tesla aspires to be a do the right thing company. Okay. And then the rest of the article is about like how this guy's waxing poetic on how that's so brilliant <laughs> and what a genius uh, rule that is. And it is a cool. It, sure. I mean, it's good. But like, you know, this is a report. <laughs> All companies do these reports to yep. hype themselves up and say nice things about themselves to, yep. you know, get, keep their shareholders happy. At the same time, every company of the few companies that I've worked for in my career, like they've all had like some motto, right. short motto yeah. like that, that was very positive and un- yeah. uplifting. Nobody cared. Mercedes has always the best or uh, something like that. Uh, do they really? Yeah. Um, A couple of marketing I, campaigns. Well, they all do. They all do. They all do. To your point, every company has some aspirational slogan or meaning that they want the uh, employees to. Yeah, tattoo on the chest. It, it was. It's cool. I guess yeah. uh, Elon Musk owns Tesla. Didn't create it. He owns Tesla. Right. And I guess he's. They're really proud of this. So the big takeaway is we want to hear from the audience. Which country is the most kooky? Steve debates <laughs> is Italians. I think it's the Germans. We'll, we'll discuss that later. All right. Let's start with who's the most unreliable. French. <laughs> French car. You've never heard a good thing about a French car. I have not heard good things about some Alfa Romeos. Oh, man. <laughs> I love those cars, but man. God, they are pretty. Steve, the last article I have is America makes statement on White House AM Ford initiative. So uh, America makes is a manufacturing institute, and they're heavily yes, involved sir. with the AM Ford initiative put forward by the White House and President Biden. So uh, the AM Ford program is a voluntary agreement. Between- are you saying AM forward? AM Ford. Okay. It, it just, it, it was confusing me because it sounded like AM Ford. Oh, <laughs> I was like, what kind of contract do they have with Ford? Uh, Ford is not part of this, but um, <laughs> America makes and the members, uh, GE Aviation, Honeywell, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, and Siemens Energy. Um, 
designed to improve the competitiveness of America's small and medium-sized manufacturing and strengthen the manufacturing workforce and domestic supply chain through additive manufacturing. So the goal is obviously they've seen issues in supply chain and it's compounded on the manufacturing side through workforce issues. So this AM Ford is part of a a bigger innovation bill where they want to solve some of our problems. Uh, uh, The AM Ford bill from the administration wants to do a couple of key things. I think is three bullets here that I was able to glean. More resilient and innovative supply chain by investing in small and medium-sized companies, uh, growing industries of the future, overcoming coordination challenge that limit adoption of new technologies like additive manufacturing, both inventing and making more in America through investments in regional manufacturing ecosystem. So it's a it's a part initiative to focus on manufacturing with the past couple of administrations have done through manufacturing institutes. But I think this is one of the uh, later steps to directly fund um, the manufacturing industry. And there's a bunch of numbers involved with the innovation bill. But to curb supply chain issues. Yep. U- utilizing additive manufacturing. That's right. Fascinating. And this is a U.S. Uh, project. Yes. So they're trying to do what the Italians did <laughs> during the pandemic with all of the ventilators and stuff because the Italians used additive to, to right. beat that. Sure. I'm just saying, you know, they did something right. <laughs> well, let me write the one thing they did right. <laughs> <laughs> now, we, we'll have links to both the American Makes and the White House uh, um, fact sheet about this. And I think it's a very good look at, you know, where the U.S. is looking to focus their efforts on and how the manufacturing industry can uh, use this to grow U.S.-based competitiveness where, you know, we're looking at reshoring uh, technology, but also how can we leapfrog some of the other countries in technology advancements or, you know, come up with other technologies to compete against those. So it's very positive. So I'm happy Sweet. to see this move forward. And um, John Wilniski from America Makes has some really good pictures of, I think they hosted the event with uh, President Biden in, uh, in Youngstown. So it was fun times. That is awesome. Steve? Who was our sponsor today, and can you tell us where they can find more info about us? Our sponsor today was AM Radio, and you can find more about us at amtonline.org slash resources. Like, share, subscribe. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Comment down below. (laughs) Ring that bell. (laughs) 